Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, I'm Ethan Suplee. Welcome to American Glut. Outside of acting, my two favorite things to do are diet and eat. I have a very complicated relationship with food, and on this podcast, we're going to talk about all of it. Food as entertainment. Food as sport. Food as fuel. I'll talk to experts and the average person, just like you and me. I hate to ask you to do anything, but if you're enjoying the show... Please take a moment to like, subscribe, rate, review, all of the above on whatever app you're getting it from. Today I'm talking to Joanna Grover. She is a board-certified coach and a member of the International Coaching Federation and the Harvard Institute of Coaching. We're talking about her new book, The Choice Point, and more specifically about functional imagery training. Joanna Grover, welcome to the American Glutton Podcast. Thank you, Ethan. I'm delighted to be with you today. So I have lost a lot of weight and I've kept it off. And I think that um, for sure the the biggest obstacle, because many times in the past I lost weight and I found that actually losing weight was not that hard. It was keeping weight off that seemed to be the hardest part. And then there were also many times where whatever amount of weight I was looking to lose or whatever kind of idea vaguely, because I didn't often delineate this quite thoroughly in my mind that I had of like where I wanted to get. Sure. The motivation to get there was almost impossible. And I think that the way you think about things and the way you frame things in your mind mm-hmm. play, take up the lion's share of the actual work. And yes. so I'm so excited to talk to you because oh. your your book sounds fantastic and right up my alley. Oh, good. Well, we're going to make sure and get you a copy because it's not out yet, but okay. you, you'll get an advanced copy, Ethan. So. I can't wait. Oh, I'm excited for you to read it. What you said is so true. The the um, biggest mountains are are between our ears, you know, the, the biggest hurdles that we will ever climb. Um, and the key is like if we were to really... Um, break it down to like a snapshot of why imagery works is that it's what you elaborate on in your mind's eye that shapes human behavior. Yeah. And so, so often, I mean, for me and for people I talk to who, who, who are either in the process of, of battling this stuff or, or have, who have clawed their way to it so often what we are spending the lion's share of our thoughts on is negativity and garbage and how hard it is. And I I think what you're talking about is kind of turning that around a little bit, right? Well, it's putting you in the driver's seat. Essentially, you have the ability to change the channel that you're on, right? So yeah, there's we're, I mean, there are a few things happening from an evolutionary standpoint. We're wired to focus on negative information. Like there's, you know, a noise over there. What's that? We want to make sure that we're on high alert 
for our threats, right? So that we can, you know, get out of harm's way if it's uh, if we're going to be eaten by something. We've evolved into a world where that isn't the case, right? At least not here where I am in Sag Harbor, New York. Nothing's going to jump out and eat me that I'm aware of. So it's how do we... From, so that's from an evolutionary standpoint. And then we we are inundated with so much information, a lot of it negative. And the way we're wired, we're going to focus on the negative information unless we consciously step out of that cycle. Yeah, this is the this this honestly, it's so hard because I I I agree with what you're saying. I believe it. I know it's true because I've experienced it, but there's something that happens where when I'm in the midst of experiencing negativity or some emotional thing, and I know this is BS, I can change it. It's mm -hmm. so difficult because the experience of it feels real. It, it is. I mean, it is technically real. Like my, my heart rate might go up. I might start having a cold sweat. Like all of that's actually happening. Yes. That um, is not, that is not fake. That right. is, that is, absolutely happening i can share a story that if you'd like um that really like brings this home it brought it home to me so it was years ago um my oldest son is is uh now in his 20s and he was 12 at the time and this is before i ever studied functional imagery training we're at a performance at lincoln center and the performance was warhorse we had great seats because a friend of mine is the artistic director of lincoln center so it was like we were immersed in this now, there was no horse in the production, but my son is allergic to horses. The main character in the production is a puppet. And you can see the puppeteers, and the puppet is made of sticks and glue and literally like bicycle parts. So when the production first begins, you see, oh, it's a puppet. You can see the puppeteers. And... But about midway through the first act, my son, the moment he believed, as the rest of us started to believe in the audience, that the horse was real, he began to have an allergic reaction that was quite substantial. He couldn't breathe. His neck was getting red because normally he gets hives. His, his imagination turned on a histamine reaction in his body that was frightening, yeah. right? So that, in a nutshell, is how our imagination, if we believe something and we elaborate on it, it will activate the body. It will increase our heart rate. It will, you know, it will, it can cause our tongue to swell. It can cause all these things. So there's in no way my belittling that that is absolutely real. What happens in our imagination and what we believe to be, we will respond to in a very real way. I, I, I'm not even totally sure they didn't do this, but when the pandemic first started, I was thinking like, just give people sugar water and tell them it's a cure. Some people it's going to act as a cure on because if you believe stuff like this, it, it works. The placebo effect, right? Yes. And that's accounted for in science. If someone believes that they will get better by doing something. And I again, there's there's a lot of complicated like this doesn't work. In every situation, like I'm very mindful. I have a, a very good friend struggling with stage four um, cancer, and it's not like he can will his way to sure. help. You know, his body's being ravaged by a disease. So I don't want to, to make small of these matters. But yes, where we spend our time and our energy, like you probably spent time and energy. I think, what did you lose? Like close to 200 pounds? Close to 300 pounds. Like if, as of today. And you know, for me, if I want to take a picture and get really lean and like uh, vascularity in my abdomen, that's not sustainable, but I can do that. And then, so I have this cushion, but it's between 285 and 300 pounds on wow. whatever for the last number of years. Yeah. So you, you, what you experience, as I understand it, is you were, you were, um, when you got there, it was hard to sustain, like getting there, you were committed to the destination. Once you got there, it was hard to maintain it. Well, let me say this in between that loss, there would be hundred, 150 pound swings. Mm. Um, I, you know, I Which got so hard on you psychologically too. Oh, I mean, it's devastating. I got brutal. down to um, 200 pounds or just over 200 pounds. And 
and then went back up to over 400 pounds more than once. Um, and so, it, you know, this is over the course of the last 20 years. But I, I also, I also had this idea that I, as a very complicated uh, human being, would be solved when I got to some weight, and I had to disillusion myself of that because none of this has solved me. I still have all my mental garbage. It's there are some aspects that have gotten better, like you know, I can run up a flight of stairs, and it's not devastating right now. Mm -hmm. I don't have to like check the tensile strength of a chair when I sit down. I can put a seatbelt on on an airplane. All of that is is improved, but it hasn't like alleviated my self negativity. I still have to fight with that. Mm -hmm. um, and I do, and I seem to be winning and I'm very grateful for that. But that has been the hardest thing. This idea that just losing weight was going to make me live in some fantasy, you, you know, yeah. Yeah, no, we see it in so many fields. Um, you know, there's a um, something called the Olympic blues. So after after an athlete, whether they meddled or they didn't meddle, after they got to the pinnacle of where they thought life's going to be different now, and then it wasn't, right? Or they weren't like, yeah, they came home to kind of normalcy. There's a huge um, weight and a weight of depression and, and um, rumination that happens. So it's it's a human experience. I'm curious because when we work with someone, the the first place that we begin, it's not just imagery. People are like, oh, I know that, I've done it. But the first place we begin is with something called motivational interviewing, because we want to tap into you and your intrinsic motivation, not extrinsic. It's not like somebody saying, Ethan, you must change, right? Your doctor, right. how many doctors tell people, if you don't stop X, you're going to die, right? Yeah. And people don't change your behavior. So that extrinsic motivation doesn't work. It certainly doesn't work long term. But as you're setting out on a journey, we use this technique called motivational interviewing to really, it's almost like we we don't have much personality. We're reflecting and deflecting and, and we're we're kind of summarizing what you said. We're we're the voice in your head that becomes yeah. externalized, right? But we we talk a lot about values. So I'm curious, when you set out on this journey to lose so much weight, um, did you ever think of your value that it was tied to? Yeah, I, I will say, and I'm sure this is common for many people today, but mm -hmm. um, I found uh, what I went through complicated because I was put on diets very, very young from the time I was like five years old wow. and this, and, and, and I'm, I, I don't know if my reaction was to suddenly start sneaking food and binge eating because of the diets, or I, you know, I don't remember five all that well. And I'm not sure if I was put on diets because they, my parents and grandparents observed me sneaking food and binge right. eating. So I'm not sure where that started but i do know that i i my relationship with food and the way i consumed it was bad for a long time and so i when i was 20 years old did not care had no values beyond the present in so much as like how can i experience pleasure right now i, I was also addicted to drugs and mm -hmm. you know morbidly obese and had trouble moving around and all of this and then i started having a relationship with a girl and suddenly i was thinking about things i was incapable of doing that i wanted to do I wanted to, and I never wanted to go on a hike prior to this. A hike was, uh, you know, this kind of thing that was enforced on me as a punishment for being fat right. until I met somebody who liked hiking and I wanted to hike with them or go and sit comfortably on a beach with them or walk around a museum with them. None of that was interesting to me before. And so it was kind of from that point of view where I went, oh, I'm going to have to. And I first got sober and that was challenging. And then and I probably couldn't have even had these thoughts while I was using drugs. But once I was clean for a bit, mm -hmm. I was able to go like, oh, there there is actually more out of life that I want that I'm not experiencing. 
So what value would you say? I hear you when you say like, this was up until that point when you met someone. Yeah. Um, it was imposed upon you from such an early age. Wow, five is such an early age. And then and then you had this experience of meeting someone. So it was the value of what would you say? It was a value of having more um ability with my body, not being confined, not being confined. And by the way, it wasn't just physically confined, it was mentally confined. You know, mm -hmm. I was embarrassed to uh, be seen with her in public because I thought that her association with me would be a negative knock on her. I didn't like experiencing that. So I, I just wanted to have more ability with myself. And I guess the value was more autonomy, yeah. you know, more, more personal power. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, um, and that's when you say that is, is there an emotion attached to that? I, there, there's heavy grief I'm sitting on right now that I could get really emotional with you. Yeah, about. no, no, I don't want to take you to that place, but yeah, I just want to, um, because we work with we work with the senses, right? When we can put someone in the future, having achieved their goal or not achieved their goal, we're going to take you to both places, and we're going to use seven senses. So it's the five senses that you know, plus we add emotion and motion. Emotion is a game changer when it comes to human behavior. We've seen people follow like people who are completely insane because of the emotion that this person evokes, no matter what side you're on, right? So emotion is a huge driver of consumerism. It's a huge driver of human behavior. And when you tap into a value, I want autonomy because I haven't had autonomy since I was a little kid, right? Now we have emotion. And that emotion you can use when you get to, our book is called The Choice Point. In the day, in a day, we probably face 60 conscious decisions or more, right? That we're aware of. Like, am I going to order dessert when I go out to lunch? Am I going to reach for the apple or the chocolate cake? These decisions, am I going to have that difficult conversation or not? The ones that we we really contemplate, right? So when you get to a decision, if if you're working to be have more autonomy, and that's associated with being um, fit. Then when you get to that choice point, you can tap into, am I going with that grief? No, grief is right. grief is what I was experiencing. Joy, sheer exhilarating joy is getting there. Yeah. So the joy, then you contrast that to the mind likes black and white. So the choice point you can use that contrast. It might, I have a choice here, right? That And that speaks to your autonomy. I have a choice. It's not being imposed on me right now. And oftentimes we go into default if we don't take this minute and breathe and use our imagery. We'll go into default of this is easier. I'm tired. I worked a long day. I deserve it. There's all sorts of chatter that can go on that justifies something that's going to take us further from where we want to be. Right. So the harder decision is um, is often the one that's linked to a bigger goal. Yeah. But I think it's fascinating because when you frame it all that way, because mm -hmm. even as I said it to you, I can touch it. I can feel it. I get yeah. that sensation of, oh, yes, it is a joyful thing. Going through that is joyful. It feels empowering. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. So um, if we were working together, you know, once I tapped into what's your goal, right? So there's a clear goal and it's tied to a, a value that's important to you. There's emotion attached to it. Then I'm going to teach you how to use your senses to be in the future before these choice points happen so right. that you have a little bit of a jump on it. But then we can also teach you to use it in the moment. And much like an athlete, we're going to use cues to cue you up, to interrupt the neural pathway. There's 20 years of science that went into this methodology. So it's very um, specific in how it's dosed out and yeah. how we train people based upon the data. It, let me ask you this, because this is what pops up for me, and it's all related to what I experienced. But sure. when I do that and I look at my goals and I, 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 I find that it's almost the the beating that moment of 
am I going to have the chocolate cake or am I going to have the apple? And I can associate joy with going for the apple and going towards my goals. That is the moment that it's very real to me. But if my goal is like lose 200 pounds and I arrive at having lost 200 pounds and I'm expecting the rest of life to be that experience of joy, I'm disappointed when it's not. And so can we talk about that? Is that yes. something you deal with? Yes, we we always um, and th this is at the beginning of the journey, because I was listening to a previous guest you had on and you were talking about how hard it is to start. We find it's also really hard to finish and yes we'll talk to people and some people will give up just before the finish line yeah i mean that could be like you know um my co-author and business partner works with uh the royal british army and navy and commandos and some of these guys they go through this grueling training and then they give up in the last mile right there's like a narrative that gets triggered of i'm not worthy or this negative chatter that overwhelms and they just can't go on, right? When they're so close to something they worked so hard for. So one of the things that we'll do in the beginning, <clears throat> in the early, before we even begin to train someone's um, ability to use imagery, is we'll say, once you achieve this, Ethan, once you get to this goal, then what? Right. Right? We'll do that with Olympians. After you win or after the Olympics in Paris, then what? Because if you're, I used to compete in the, um, I love sports and I, I, I love outdoor sports, but I used to compete in the equestrian world. And if you're so focused on the perfect distance to a fence, you're in trouble because that fence comes up on you very quickly and you're on top of a 1200 pound animal and you better know where you're going after, right? right? Or you're going to go off course and you're going to get disqualified or something worse can happen. So it's, yes, I have my mindset on this, but I'm a bigger human being. My life is bigger than losing 200 pounds. Then what? Yeah. And I Th think then what is so key, because I think that's part of the reason uh, so, so many people gain weight again after having lost weight. Um, but even like, as you say that I have a, a 16 year old daughter that is in a very, very academically rigorous school. And she was working on this project that took her a year in this school to work on. And she finished it and she was like distraught. And she was like, I don't feel anything that I was expecting to feel. And I don't know what to do with myself. And I, I said similar things like, okay, you need to make a new goal right now mm -hmm. and make a, make a bunch of goals. But like, th this is a problem on many different, in many different areas that, that I've experienced mostly through losing weight and, and not having a goal set beyond that, you know, but like anything you accomplish, like you're talking about Olympians who get to the Olympics and then it's like their life is over. They're over. They don't know what to do. They wake up the next day and it's like, what now? Who who am I? There is an identity crisis that's so deep because they've given up so much for so many years. Who am I now? Yeah. Right. And it can be quite serious. We've had great athletes commit suicide, right? Because they don't have that way of looking past you know, what their single-minded focus, single-minded focus is great. And we're all for that, but what's the bigger picture of life right. and, and what happens after that fence? What happens after that? Um, so that we do from, from early on. And um, it's just so important because I, I worked with the, I think one of my first clients, when I, I became the first person in the United States to be trained in functional imagery training, which is the it's the meat of the of the book is this methodology that in my I can honestly say in my 19 years of being a cognitive behavioral therapist, never had I touched upon something that worked as quickly and as long lasting as this. Wow. Right. So when I came home um, in order to get certified, they wanted me to have people I didn't charge. Right. So it was separate from my practice. And. I would record sessions and send it back to the university. And so one of the first um, volunteers I had was uh, a physician who 
like you, had had multiple times lost well over 100 pounds, he would get in like fighting shape. Like he would do like Ironman and then boomerang and beat him up, himself up. It was it was hard to to listen to the story sometimes, you know, because it was like so much suffering involved. Yeah. Um, but his his foot was either on the gas or it was on the brake. It was yeah. go, stop, go. So what he worked with is okay, there's I have to find the ability to coast. I can take my foot off the gas and coast and not do this. It was very psychologically um, abusive. No, no, that is exactly me in 2000, uh, maybe 11. I went and rode every stage of the Tour de France. I could ride a bike for 200 miles and then do it again the next day up the mountains. And I, I wasn't like, you know, some of these guys who ride in those kind of races are 130 pounds, like they're tiny. I wasn't tiny, but I was I had no fat on me at all. Um, but I'm a kind of a big guy. And then I went back up to 400 pounds. Like this is the story of my life. Um, I have for the past five years continued setting goals and the, and the coast, I call it maintenance. This is my, my number one goal right now with myself physically is find an area where I'm not mentally beating myself up. I'm not physically obsessive. And I'm able to live as close to what I would consider a normal, you know, I do quote normal life because who's really normal. I think it's so insulting to call people normal. Um, But like the version of that, when I look at people and I go, that's a normal guy. I, and that's what I always wanted. So Mm -hmm. how do I find that for myself? And I've clobbered it together. um, I think through a version of like, not totally understanding, but doing some of the things you're talking about. That's so cool that you've done it, um, you know, through trial and error. Um, and and there are, yes, there are things that if we could, if we go deep enough, if we struggle long enough, a lot of this is intuitive, right? But how we, how counselors work with, whether you're a counselor, a coach um, of athletes or individuals, a lot of times people are just doing it the wrong way, yeah. right? And they don't mean to, but they're actually inflicting so much pressure. And ultimately that extrinsic motivation is going to be like a car that runs out of gas. And they just do it once. I can't stop thinking about you talking about uh, finding that a lot of the people don't finish, which, which I think is so true in so many fields. And I keep just thinking like if we if we make this whole thing whatever this goal is the entirety of our life finishing it is very scary because if you've not thought beyond that you have nothing you have no life after that once you've finished so it makes perfect sense that people would subconsciously not be finishing simply because there's no more to life and if you don't finish then you then you can continue living this kind of nebulous life that is somewhat meaningless because you haven't gone beyond whatever this massive milestone you set for yourself was. You're going outside your comfort zone in some way to finish. Yeah. Because then it's like, now there's a new, there's a new story, a new narrative and then what? Right. Right. So um, one of the things I love uh, in our book is the, um, so back to the British Royal commando training. So, it's out on the British Moors. It's dark. It's cold. It's wet. There are these davits in the ground, and sometimes there are snakes in them, and you can twist your ankle. You can break your ankle. And there's always a warm minivan within, you know, just a few hundred meters. And you're told from the get-go, anytime you want, you can stop. Get in that warm minivan. There's hot chocolate. Going to be comfortable. This wasn't meant for you. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. 
A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Right? And they, they kind of like, they externalize the voice in your head. They're like, maybe you're a quitter. Maybe you need to go. Right. And so um, they get to the end point and they're carrying like so much gear and they have, you know, they're just tired, wet, cold and done. And the sergeant says, you're not done. You have to run back. Oh, two hour run there. So one guy throws his hands up in the air. He's like, I'm out. Why? Because he's he's focused on his suffering. The other guy focuses on he was like, it's all expectation. Oh, I knew they were going to throw a monkey wrench, making it to a commando. You don't it's not like a linear straight path. They're going to throw things at you to see if you can psychologically handle it. Kind of laughs to himself. All right. And he pictures his family and he pictures his finish line. So now he's transcended the suffering. And and it turns out they don't have to run all the way home. It's just a mile. And then he gets in the minivan and there's the guy who gave up. And they're two very ex- different experiences as they're having their hot chocolate, right. right? And it's just that split second decision where, you know, you, you get to decide, am I going to focus on how hard this is and the struggle and how much I want to get in that van? Or am I going to really focus on like my life when I'm a commando? It's my uncle was a commando. It's something I want. And I want, so it's just like the ability for the mind to leave the lower fear elevations and get to something higher that we found that people transcend pain. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I, the, the, the perspective bit that you're talking about Mm -hmm. for me I can look at all the discomfort that I experienced at 550 pounds and go, that was chronic. That was a nonstop, basically excruciating level of discomfort all the time. Mm -hmm. And in order to avoid that, Mm -hmm. I have to have a little acute discomfort every day. And the trade-off is fantastically simple in those terms. It is just not, you cannot yeah, no, compare. Yeah, it's beautiful. And then you can use that, you know, a cue can be a mantra like that. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm anticipating a little bit of discomfort each day. Yeah. Right? And, and that is going to avoid the life of misery that, you know, and I mean like mentally and literally physically miserable, mm-hmm. everything hurt. So you couldn't sit in the same place for a long time because the amount of weight pressing down on joints got to be too much. Like it was real pain. So I go to the gym and I have to push myself through a workout that's pretty brief in these days, 45 minutes to an hour plus a little cardio. Mm-hmm. And that's it. That's all I have to do. I mean, there's certainly I'm simplifying it. There's more to it than that. I also have to withhold myself from binge eating McDonald's. Right. And, but that's it. That's all I have to do basically to, to never have that situation happen again. It's, it's, it's a mind bogglingly easy trade. Yeah. And, and the, the, um, the using of the imagery technique is pretty easy, right? So if I'm doing this interview and suddenly, uh, I don't know, a chocolate biscuit pops into my head and I'm like, Oh, wow. That'd be so nice of a biscuit with my tea. And now I'm elaborating on it. Right. And the more I elaborate on it, the more I'm likely to excuse myself, get up and get it. But I can be, oh yeah, the biscuit again. Um, But how do I want to feel when I fit into that, you know, that suit that I'm going to wear on the Today Show? Right. Right. So we can take, you know, cravings are imagery based right? The McDonald's binging is imagery based. You, you can smell it. You can taste it. You can hear the paper unwrapping. You can, but you can change that to the imagery of what it's going to be like when you have this life with more autonomy, right? And you can contrast that grief with that joy and be like, 
And because the mind can't hold two opposing images at once, it's the one that you focus on is the one that you're going to act on. Is the recognition that we are programmed to dwell on negativity for safety's sake, is that a necessary step? Because I think that's helpful to know that like, hey, this is why I'm doing that. And this is why I need to do something else. This is why I need to substitute that thought with another thought. Yeah. And yeah, then it's like it's expectation and it's use the word normalized. Right. It's like, oh, there's not something wrong with me. Right. This is the way I'm wired. I often say to people with anxiety, like you're wired to survive. In an evolutionary standpoint, you would be a great survivor because you're aware of everything. But we're going to tone that down a little. Right. So if the expectation is this isn't a bad thing, this is a normal human experience. But we don't have to live that way because living that way takes us out of joy, takes us out of the moment, takes us out of creativity to imagine something differently. Right. Right. I I mean, and it, but it's also creative. It's also creative. Is it is totally a creative uh, process like you got to get creative to do it? Yeah. And then some people will say, because every we talk about um, imagery and and we think everyone does it the same way. But the truth is, some people can't visualize. They can't. They'll close their eyes and see nothing. There's a small percentage of people. I think it's like three percent that may have aphantasia. So when there are kids in school reading a book and everyone's imagining the scene, they're not imagining the scene, right? Oh, but that sounds horrible. That does not sound their, fun at all. Yeah, but it's a real thing. Like Oliver Sacks, who is a great writer, he had it. And so, but people, so we have something called the PSIQ. It's a Plymouth um, Imagery Inventory. People can go to our, on our site and download it for free, but you can see what part of your senses are you have you highly developed awareness of and what part are you missing? Cause we find that you need three or more senses involved in this for it to really work. So then when you're trying to do that, you would want to incorporate those senses. Yes. Okay. And those senses are more than just the tactile sight, smell, taste. Yeah, it, it's more than that. It's more than what you see, what you smell, what you taste, what you feel. It's what emotion do you have? Can you see your body moving? And then some people, when they do the inventory, they maybe they've had COVID and they they lost the sense of smell. So you can say, can you smell this? No, I can't smell this. But we can work on smell coming back, even if it's not literally coming back. It's coming back in the imagination. Can you remember the smell of your grandmother's house? Yes. Right. Now we can tap into that. Yeah. Right. The smell of the ocean. You know, yes. if you want to go for a run on the ocean and that's part of this beautiful picture you've created as a goal, that's a cool one to 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 put in there. The feel of sand in your toes and how great it's going to feel to run. Yes. Yeah. The, the more um, sensory, the more, you know, tactile, the more you have a memory of what's it like. What's it smell like? Taste is another big one. Like we often leave that out. People will leave it out if they if they're doing um, uh, practices of putting someone in the future. And taste is really important because it's quite powerful. Is there a taste associated with that um, with that heaviness? Right. So the more we can engage, we're basically getting out of the thoughts which are negative into our senses. And being and putting ourselves in the future situation so that by the time we get there, we respond in a way that's in alignment with us, our goals, our bigger dreams. Otherwise, it's just like Groundhog's Day. Yeah. You know, 95% of our thoughts are the same as the day before. Roughly 80% or more are negative. So we are wired to do the same thing, the same amount of negativity. But we, we find when you teach people, well, you can train your brain using this imagery technique, like some crazy stuff happens. Yeah. I think for the longest time, I just took for granted that my thoughts were my thoughts. And if I was having a good time in life, my thoughts seemed to be more positive. And so I needed to have, uh, you know, I needed to work very hard towards having a good time in life. But then you do look like I've traveled 
pretty extensively around the world and you realize like people who are having a much worse time than I am, at, 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 certainly in material sense, mm -hmm. are doing just fine. And some people who are doing a lot better than me in a material sense are having a rough go of it. So it's it's completely subjective in those terms. And like getting getting to the point where I can recognize that a thought is just a thought and that doesn't mean that it's real. That was a big deal for me. That is a very big deal for anybody or that negative voice in your head isn't you. Right. Right. That's not really telling you something. That's you. Yeah. Right. So if you can externalize that, so it's not like, oh, I have to listen to this voice. Um, and you can see a thought and know that it's in a, you know, you can choose like train, a train in the station. You're going to go out with that thought or you're going to let that one go. Right. Yeah. It's amazing. I mean, this is, it. I mean, it really is so exciting. So you're the only person in America that does this. Well, I was the first person trained in it. I, I read about it and it was actually a client of mine who, um, it was a corporate client and they wanted me to design a weight loss program. So I went online and I was like, what's the most significant weight loss study? And then I found functional imagery training and I emailed them and they said, you know, we're doing a training. Why don't you come over? You'd actually be the first person in the US that we train. They they just started training members of the public. like healthcare people and therapists. So I went over and then um, after getting then certified, then one of the researchers reached out to me and said, I really like um, your website and I wonder if you wanna write a book together. And then in doing that, we've started to train, we've probably trained 50 people in the US and we're training more. So like, I, you know, my desire is to alleviate human suffering and make a profit, right? So um, <laughs> I think that if you can combine those two things, then you're in good shape. But yeah, we want to train a lot of people in this because a lot of people, well-intentioned people are doing it wrong. I see coaches all the time. I'm a rower now. I give up riding for rowing. And I see them like, I see kids who will never get near the water again because they've been pushed too hard or they've just, you know, the passion's been driven out of them. Right. Yeah. So you're a, a rower, actually a rower, like skulls on water. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's cool. I, I, that I, I did when I talked about how f my various iterations of being fit, there was a version of me that did a, a full marathon on an, on a rowing erg, wow. um, which was really hard. That's no picnic. Yeah, no picnic at all. But again, like I'm way too scared to try to do it on water because there's then the balance portion that freaks me out. As long as both oars are out, you're fine. You can be in the narrowest boat, but those oars like um, really give you the balance. And a coach said to me, you know, you're a perfect rower. And I thought he was talking about my form. He said, psychologically, you're competitive, you're lazy and you're smart. And I said, can we just substitute lazy for efficient? <laughs> Because, and that's what fit is, right? It's like, you know, we can teach people this and we find like six or eight sessions and they get it. Right. And we start small, like maybe they want to improve one thing in their life. Um, we work with a lot of corporate people or leaders and they play a sport as a hobby. Okay, let's start with that. Because now you're kind of like, the stakes aren't that high. You enjoy it. You can play with it. The imagination likes playfulness, right? If you're too like, you must do this in your imagination, sort of like I'm out. Um, so you want to start with something that they can like play around with. And then once they get it, they're like, wow, can I use this with other things? Oh, right. yeah, I can use it with other things. Yeah. I, I guess the framework that this conversation begins with is weight loss. That's generally what I'm interested in, but in reality, this is any aspect of life. This applies to any of it. Anything. But I think weight loss, I love that we're having this conversation because it's so exploited. Yeah. It's so there's so many false promises. And I see people go through surgeries and now they're on this special diabetic medicine or, you know, and like, but there's so much like, do this, do that, do this, you know, people imposing really difficult things on the body. Yeah. 
right? And and really profiting from, uh, we know gyms, right? They market beginning of the year, all sorts of sales, and they know most people quit by mid-February. Yeah. Right? So there really isn't, there hasn't been like this kind of investment up until like Weight Watchers was the most successful study up until the functional imagery training one without using medication. Oh, really? Weight Watchers was massively successful for people. It was very successful for the first, as I understand it, up until six months. That was sort of the average. And then people sort of plateau. Um, What what they found in the functional imagery training exercise and weight loss study is that after six months, people continue to lose weight. A year later, they're continuing to exercise because it's it's a tool that you can use every day. Right. And it's not imposing. You don't have to put your calories in a phone. It's not telling you to do this or that. You can adapt it and use it in a way that serves you. But it, it's like an inside out job. Yeah. Well, I, you know, and that that is the most interesting piece, because what I think I was most dissatisfied with every time I lost weight was the inside didn't, there was no change at all. I mean, nothing, I, you know, and it was kind of like what my daughter expressed when she finished this project at school, which was finishing it was devastating because she had nothing else to do. And she expected this joy to to be she expected an experiential thing associated with finishing it and when that didn't happen it was devastating and that was basically my experience every time i lost weight there was no change i kept waiting for that inside change to occur it never did and so when i went okay the two things aren't really connected and if they are i'm doing it backwards change change the way i think and that might help with uh, achieving this goal and having it sustained. Absolutely. But what a great opportunity for you to talk to your daughter, right? About yeah. like, yeah, this this probably isn't the first time this will happen to you, right? right? So how do you handle it, right? So it's like an opportunity, not that you did anything wrong in saying, let's choose a goal right away, but there's an opportunity to process like, oh, wow. Like you work so hard and you expected it to be different. Yeah. And that's really hard on you. Yeah. So um, so what can you learn from this for next time? Like, what would you tell somebody who's in, you know, a few years from now, if this happens to your younger cousin, what, what advice would you give them? Right. So like expectation is huge. I expected it to be different when I finished. I expected it to be different when I came home with a medal. I expected it to be different when I lost 200 pounds. But okay, now we can have a conversation around that, right? Right. Because if we just move on to the next thing, we lose that opportunity to to have that really meaningful conversation. Yeah. No, you're right. I, I actually having this conversation with you. I need to. She her school. She's in a boarding school, so she's not at home. But like, I need to call her and revisit this and go check in with her because I had that conversation with her. And then kind of just went like, well, she's going to be fine now. She's made new goals. But I think it is, there is a bit more to it than that because I didn't make sure that like when you get to the end of the next goal, let's see, is this still happening, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And then if we're so tied to our goals, I've seen with great like athletes, right? They get injured and wow, that's an identity crisis. Like who am I if I can't go to the gym? Who am I if I can't compete in my sport? Like, who are my friends? Like, what's my purpose? Yeah. Right? So it's a great opportunity to rather than be like, oh, my goodness, that's right. Like, yeah, like, okay, who are you if you don't go to the gym and if you don't do these other things? Part of why I gave up riding is I shattered my shoulder in an injury. And it was the kind of like fall where I didn't know if I'd walk again. Oh, wow. Um. I don't know if you've ever broken a shoulder, but I had like, it was bad. I had plates and screws and multiple surgeries. And, um, and it's like, there's no, that's like a major, like you can't do anything. You fear everything. Yeah. 
And I remember reading about my surgeon um, when I, a night when I was like in so much pain and I read about him thinking he must have done something wrong. I have to look him up. Are there complaints about him on the internet? But I, what I found was that he had gotten this humanitarian award from the U.S. military because he had gone over to Afghanistan to help the doctors put, well, it was in Germany. It was for soldiers who would be medevaced from Afghanistan. And he went over with this great bravado, like, I'm going to show them how to put human bones back together. And the first um, guy was a, a, he was a triple amputee. And he, in that moment, he, he was like, we, you know, there was nothing I could do. And we were, and, and I read it and I thought, I'm never going to complain about pain in my shoulder. I literally, that night, I said that to myself. And I can tell you, Ethan, it has not come back. And that was five years ago. Yeah. It's, it was just like something switched in my head that like, I'm not focusing on this because I have an arm and I'm grateful for it. So gratitude is a huge part of imagery too. Okay. I have a question on this because I, I, I find myself doing similar things. And then I wonder if psychologically it's okay the way I'm doing it, because it's all framed kind of in the way you framed it, where it's, um, it, it it's based on something else. It's, it's like, I, I, I'm happy with this because I can see there's bigger problems out there that are, people are dealing with, you know, and, and is that fine? It is fine. Absolutely. Again, it's elaboration. Are you going to elaborate on, I, you know, I'm not happy with this because I should be like my neighbor who has X, Y, and Z. If you continue to elaborate on it, that's where you're going to, your mind's going to go, your energy is going to go, your attention's going to go, and your behavior's going to go. But if you're able to transcend that with gratitude, then then your mind's going to go there, your attention's going to go there, your behavior's going to go there. Yeah. Yeah, I, I get so grateful for everything. My wife is often like, don't be too grateful. You still have to, there's still work to do. You can't retire, you know? And I'm like, I don't know. It's pretty great. Like, life is pretty good. I don't know what else I have to do. I can just, like, bask in how great it is sometimes. Um yeah, I mean, you can see the same scene, right? I, I was just walking my dog and there's a, a gentleman unloading something from the car. I didn't know him, but we were just like, what a beautiful day and how lucky are we, right? But I could pass by somebody else who's, you know, they're upset because their lawn is brown and they can't stop thinking about how upset they are that their lawn is brown. And then it spills over into everything, right? right? Like, And they're going to lose their temper at somebody. Then, But what you're choosing to elaborate on is really the essence of who you're going to become. Yeah. And, and with that, I find that like, you know, you can't create anything without destroying something else. Even the process of breathing, you're, you're burning up one thing and releasing something else. Right. And, and so like, you want to build a house, you're going to chop something down. You want to cook. Something's dying in order for us to eat, whether it's vegetables or animals. And like, this is just life and life also has decay in it. And we also, and like, if, if we can't find something beautiful at every stage, right. If we can't look around at a, at a dilapidated building, even abandoned spray painted on and go like, yeah, I see something beautiful there too, you know? I think, I think we're just, we're, we're, we're missing some beauty in life. I really do. I, I can look at a, 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 a ghost town and see some beauty or, uh, you know, something that existed a hundred years ago and then was left to rot and that can be beautiful too. Yeah. I think, you know, I just read an article on, um, Gen Zers and it's so like, tragic to me in terms of like, they don't want to debate like in school right they're they're like oh i don't want to have like the wrong opinion because then i'll get canceled or whatever but in our work you know you have to have difficult conversations and in in ecology in two ecosystems that come together where there's friction create a stronger ecosystem yeah unless we're just nobody's listening and we're just so this idea of like 
you know, can you, um, can you appreciate life and death because it's part of life? And can you appreciate this process and not get so rigid in your mind that I won't be well until I lose X amount of weight. I won't be right until my lawn is green. Like that rigidity and then the elaboration on that rigidity causes a tremendous amount of suffering. If we can get that altitude on life, it's such a different experience. And then if we can pay attention to, if I really want to change something, I'm going to have to change the images in my mind. It is part of it the necessity to be able to for ourselves because, you know, I, I've, I've found like, I can't, I can't frame things as good or bad anymore. It's very hard for me to frame things as good or bad. I, I can put it in a context where I consider it bad, but like in absolute terms, I become kind of a moral relativist to, to a degree. This, this upsets my wife to no end because she's like, some things are absolutely good and some things are absolutely bad. And I go like, I'll, I I would have to work hard, but I could find a context where maybe it's not bad or it wasn't bad 300 years or whatever. Mm -hmm. But do we have to be able to challenge our own perceptions of truth? Because there are thoughts that I have that I take for granted are just true. And even if I'm applying them only to myself and saying it doesn't have to be true for anybody else, but this is my truth that I've found I have to challenge myself on it and go like, is that really true? Yeah, I think that you're a highly evolved human being. It's Just, not easy. No, it's not easy. But in um, I've started, uh, I joined a meditation group and I have a beautiful teacher who's said that this black and white thinking in Buddhism is a cause of human suffering, right? It's either this or that. Right. Right? So he'll, the teacher said to us one day, it's neither this nor that, neither nor both. Right. And, and everything, everything is a projection. Everything. The idea that you think you're right and someone's wrong. And so it is, a, it's a very humbling place. It takes some more work. Um, it's certainly not as popular, but I think it's, um, it's healthier. Yeah, I, I think so, too. And in in thinking that I would love people to share this. But I, but again, I come from the place of like, if that if 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 your truth says there are these absolutes, I'm not going to argue with you about them. But I do find it very, very helpful in like, OK, you have a a, a goal that seems insurmountable to you. Maybe your thoughts are creating that impossibility. Maybe you, your truths, things you are saying are absolutely true are getting in your own way. And, and like, if we're, we don't even have to talk about how rigid culture has become today, but like just each individual with, with in dealing with themselves, there could be a little bit more flexibility with that. Unless, you know, I, I used to run groups for um, kids in some of the toughest high schools in Miami. And, you know, one student came and she turned her chair and wouldn't face us, had, had on backwards glasses. And it took, I, I didn't say like, hey, you better turn around and join this group or whatever. Because they were, you know, they were there because they were referred to be there. And I figured she needed to be there. Um, the counselors referred her. It took a long time for her to turn her chair around to take her glasses off and talk, right? And but like having that, holding that space for her was really important until she felt safe enough to talk. And I think that there's there's just so much you have to do it this way or that way, or you're, you know, I think that that really limits us from really connecting as human beings. One of my first clients at NYU was, and then forced me to work with her. I went and said to my counselor, I can't possibly work with somebody who um, did this to their child. It was a child, a, a parent accused of neglect. And she was like, well, find a way. And by the end of our time together, I realized that could have been me had I been high, had I had a different life. Yeah. But I had to transcend my judgment of her file to get through that. And in doing that, I became... I think more human, I hope. 
Yeah. But I wasn't like, well, I'm better than you. And I would never do that to my child because what where, is that? Zach, where does it get us? It doesn't get us anywhere. The, yeah, exactly. It is what it is. And we can either suffer or we can find a way to make lemonade out of lemons. I mean, really. And, and, it, and it is just a matter of like how we think about it. Yeah. In the end, this client taught me more about myself than anybody. And I learned the power of non-judgment, um, right. which was extremely powerful of, of like listening to understand rather than listening to talk. Yeah. So, and that is a huge part of our work. We listen to understand our clients and we just assume they're the expert in their life. And then we teach them this technique and they're off and running. And suddenly they're quitting their job and they're surfing in Australia. And I'm like, wow, they're really following their dream. Right. That's amazing. <laughs> right. I'm, I mean, I like as I think about this, my wife, she should be a little scared because who knows what we're going to do? You know what I mean? No, it, time and time again, John and I were talking about like, wow, did you hear the doctor? is is moving us going but yeah they're like up and doing it they're not waiting for one day when all the ingredients are right i'll do x y and z they're like let's do it let's figure out how to do it now it's it's actually a beautiful thing and then when you be scared of it or your wife to be scared but when you really tap into this there's a bit of like a superpower that happens that i don't even think science has begun to explain well, it does take the the pressure of needing to put all your ducks in a row for anything because the ducks are also all in your head, right? <laughs> you know, so like if the ducks are in my head, they're in a row if I want them to be in a row or they're not if I don't. And it's entirely my choice. You would love my Buddhist teacher. Yeah. Well, I can't wait to read your book, Joe. Uh, this, is, this has been too. fantastic. Thank you so much. Oh, you're so welcome. And um, I think you're a great actor. I've appreciated your work. And this has been so nice to be in your head a little bit and in your life. And and um, and I can't wait for you to read it. Maybe we'll Me have too. another conversation. Down yes, the please. Okay. And call your daughter. I'm, I'm going to. <laughs> and now for the Q&A. Here is a question for you from Drew. Drew from Australia. Hi, Drew from Australia. Drew says, big fan of the show, only started listening this year and I'm working through the back catalog. I started on my own journey two months ago at 190 kilos. And then he puts in parentheses 418 pounds. Uh, he says, I've dropped some 52 pounds so far. The first six weeks was purely dietary changes, a somewhat version of keto, but 100% sugar, processed carbs elimination, which allows me to eat a lot of green vegetables every day. Then at the six-week mark, I started lifting weights, and I will continue to build on this. I know you have mentioned you got into cycling on the show, and I'd like to add cycling into my own regimen, as running isn't really an option for me due to a damaged knee. Uh, he says, I don't want to risk re-injury. My question is, at what weight do you think it's a good point to begin cycling? And do you have any recommendations for bikes for heavy guys? Uh, well, I think like adding some cardio to your exercise is a good idea at any point. And I can't run either. I have terrible knees and terrible feet and some arthritis in my hip. And so like running's out of the question for me, but riding a bicycle was pretty pretty like didn't cause me pain and wasn't damaging any part of my body it's pretty low resistance or low impact sorry not resistance there can be a lot of resistance but it's low impact um uh, the the weight at which you start uh i don't know like whenever you can do it you start and you do what you can do and you build from there bikes you know I'm trying to do the math. He was 418 pounds and now he's like 370. Lost 50. So, yeah. Uh, lost 52. Yeah, 365 is about right. Okay. So, yeah, I mean, there's no reason he couldn't ride a bike. I would think that some of the super high end carbon ultralight <laughs> racing bikes might not support. 365 pounds 
But um, Jameis makes a steel frame bike that probably could. I'm not totally sure on what it would be. I will say that like when I first started riding bicycles, I rode just a big, heavy beach cruiser, and that was perfectly fine for my weight. And then as I lost weight, I got smaller and lighter bikes. And so there's probably a mountain bike or a, a beach cruiser type bike or something where you can just get on and start pedaling. Certainly um, a stationary bike w- should be able to withstand 365 pounds. I mean, for sure, like an Airdyne, that's um, a bike with upper body movement also. So I, I think that like whenever you can do it, you can start doing it. That's really my answer. And and there will be bikes out there. You know, it might not be what they're riding in the Tour de France, uh, but those dudes are tiny. Like I think there I think I remember reading once there was only one dude who ever rode that race who was two hundred pounds and he was like, you know, an elite cardio fiend at two hundred pounds. Right. So, yeah, that's that's a different story. Well, that's great. Yeah, I love that answer, by the way, what, you know, when you can, because that can apply to almost anything. I, I just know from personal experience, when you start exercising or you get a routine in the gym and then you look at other people and you're like, I want to do that. I want to do that. And it's like, well, when, you know, you do it when you can. Yeah. And you don't have to kill yourself on the bike. Just go for a bike ride. And, and you know, if you want to treat it as a leisure activity, um at first and then start pushing yourself just see what you can do but like I, I would i would be willing to bet that at 365 pounds if he's exercising regularly he could go on a bike ride yeah not now yeah awesome well uh thanks for that and thank you drew um good luck to you in that if anyone else has a question for ethan you can email it to us at hello at americanglutton.net thanks for listening to this episode of american glutton I'm Ethan Suplee. You can follow us on Instagram at American Glutton Podcast. Sincerely.